Welcome to the Retail Exchange Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Retail Exchange Podcast with me, Carl McKeever. In this episode, we're bringing you more highlights from World Retail Congress 2023. During the three-day event in Barcelona, the Retail Exchange Podcast took to the stage for two live recordings. I'm joined by Deloitte Chief Global Economist Ira Kalish, Matahari Department Store CFO Niraj Jain, and Haviana's President EMEA, Guillaume Pru. Here's the episode. With economic and geopolitical factors continuing to create new challenges for both retailers and consumers, Deloitte Chief Global Economist Ira Kalish shared his insights and forecasts for 2023. Joining him was Matahari Department Store CFO Niraj Jain to discuss the Indonesian retailer's performance in the current trading climate and how it is creating the financial foundation to deliver resilience and growth in the months ahead. So I'm joined here today for the Retail Exchange by two very important guests, and it's great to have you with us here, gentlemen. And first of all, Ira Kalish, who many of you may recognise, who is the Global Chief Economist from Deloitte. Welcome. And also for Niraj Jain, who's CFO from Matahari Department Stores. It's really good to have you here. First of all, starting with you, Ira. Clearly, as we continue to come out of the pandemic, different markets are emerging at different speeds, and that presents some challenges for global retailers. What do you think are some of those big agenda items which global brands are having to consider, bearing in mind that the speed and pace of recovery is different in each market? Well, we've been through a number of major disruptions since the pandemic began that are likely to permanently alter the landscape for retailers. So we have much higher inflation, although it's going to come down, but gradually. We have an unusually tight labor market in many markets around the world, and even including some emerging markets, but not all of them. Uh, We have greater geopolitical tensions, which is leading to a likely redesign of global supply chains meant to minimize risk. So these are things that global retailers and their suppliers have to think about in a way that they didn't have to just a few years ago. That being said, the global economy is still going to grow. In many emerging markets, the number of middle-income people, that is the number of people who live more than just hand-to-mouth, is going to grow more rapidly than the economies grow. So the availability of customers for modern retail will continue to rapidly increase, creating opportunities for global retailers. So even though we're in the midst of a lot of disruptive, negative things going on, there's still cause for optimism going forward, I think. And a a very different question, I guess, for you, Niraj. First of all, can you give us an overview of the trading performance within Matahari department stores? Are things on the up? Have things bounced back after the pandemic? So uh, Matahari, I'm not sure how many of you know, it's it's the largest department store in Indonesia with a 42% market share. And uh, during pandemic, we took an approach of kind of, you know, protect and pivot. So first, when pandemic hit us, we were like, okay, it's time for us to protect the business and take actions to ensure that the business is protected and we sustain till the last. And at the same time, when it is time now, post-pandemic, we said that, okay, it is now time to grow. So when I look at last year, kind of, you know, even the sales recovery has not been there. But our profit, even at 75, 76% of sales recovery, we delivered a higher net profit versus pre-pandemic. 
And when we look at the Q1 results, which we just announced last week, we had a double-digit same-store sales growth. So business is really getting back into shape. That's really encouraging to hear. And I guess as we approach the second half of 2023, Ira, what do you think are some of those concerns on the horizons in terms of consumer confidence and how consumer behavior may pan out for the rest of this year? It seems to me that consumers respond quickly to changes in the cost of living. So the inflation disrupted them, the sudden increase in energy prices disrupted them. Those are things that had a big negative impact on confidence. Now we're starting to see inflation come down. We've seen energy prices come down. We've seen employment continue to grow. The availability of jobs is still positive. I think in the second half of this year, even if economies continue to slow down, we might see a rebound in confidence in major markets unless those markets go into a deep recession. So I think there's, there is some cause for optimism. But, you know, we've learned over the last three or four years that sudden, unexpected, disruptive things can happen. And we don't know what might happen between now and the end of the year that will be disruptive to the global business environment. But I think it makes sense for global companies to plan for the upside. In fact, many of our Deloitte clients who I've spoken to in the past year have asked me, how do I plan for a recession? And my answer has always been, don't. Plan for the recovery. Because a recession might last eight or nine months, a recovery might last eight or nine years. Uh, and it's going to happen one way or another. And, and I guess people have become more resilient as yes. well in the last couple of years. You know, we've had several big shocks in the system. Right. And as a result, retailers have become very agile at knowing how to deal with things that weren't planned for. Indeed. And I think a lot of that has to do with technology. You know, in the old days, recessions often came about because of inventory mistakes. Uh, we don't have them as much anymore because we use technology to stabilize our inventories. I think the same is true of many aspects of running a business. If we had had a pandemic like this 40 years ago, before the age of microcomputing, before the internet, before the cell phone, the economic consequences would have been far more disastrous. But the existence of technology saved us. Uh, and I think you're right that it has enabled businesses to be much more agile and to bounce back more quickly. And I expect that that will likely continue. Niraj, this is all about managing risk. And uh, in your role, you will be very clearly navigating the kind of risks which are out there on the horizon. But what do you think are some of the most worrisome internal risks that you as a department store retailer have to think about very actively? Yeah, as, as Kanro Ira mentioned, inventory risk is the biggest on any balance sheet for any retailer. For us, we have a very interesting business model wherein two-thirds of the business is on consignment, wherein it's a third-party brand who sells in our store and we trade on their inventory, and one-third is on our role. So what we did during pandemic, or till the time we were certain that we are out of pandemic, was to focus more on consignment business and drive uh, our own direct purchases, our own brands, only on areas which is essentials. And was that because there was more uncertainty about some of the brands Absolutely. you were working with? Yeah. yeah. So, so when we are trading on essentials, we know that they are continuity brands, and if it is not sold now, it can be sold later. Kind of. So managing that balance sheet risk. I think the other big risk, uh, because 94% of our sourcing is local, 
and how do you ensure that your local supply chain is strong? So we did invest into some banks to ensure that they are able to fund to our, uh, to our supply chain networks, kind of, to our vendors who are local, who are not large organizations, but mid-sized organizations, and how do we grow them and take them along with us? And the good piece is, kind of, with that, with us forcing that discipline in our supply chain, we were not only able to sustain ourselves, but also able to sustain our supply chain. And what were some of the good learnings that you've taken from that discussion and dialogue with your key suppliers? I, I think, uh, I, I still remember the first day when I sent them email back in March 2022 that I'm shutting down my distribution center and payment will be staged and things like that. They were all like, because competition was not doing ahead and I was the first one to send them probably the email out. So they were all like, uh, I got around 800 emails on a single day, everybody complaining about it and all that happening. But now when we look back, I've seen many of them actually come back to me and say thank you because you did that, so we also acted accordingly and ensured that we have enough cash on our balance sheet and how do we ensure that we have got, at any point of time, enough resources in our pocket to run the business for so eight good to nine months. So dialogue and information sharing is important. Is important, very, very important. Um, Ira, you know, as, as we move forward, how do you feel that CEOs and CFOs need to think about taking risks? Are larger risks required to stave off the economic headwinds? Well, I mean, any successful business at any time is always in the business of taking risks. That's just part of the territory. The problem is that we live in an age now where we've seen a whole series of unexpected shocks that leads us to perceive a greater degree of uncertainty, which means the risk return measurement is, is perhaps different than before. Uh, it doesn't mean that you necessarily take fewer risks. Um, it's rather that maybe you more carefully assess the risk and assess the alternatives and the opportunity costs. In an uncertain environment, it makes sense to engage in scenario planning, for example. Look at different potential visions of what the world might look like and develop plans for managing in those circumstances. And it doesn't mean that you'll necessarily ever use any of the plans you develop. It's like General Eisenhower once said that plans are worthless, but planning is everything. In other words, the act of planning makes you better prepared to to move when something happens. And in your experience, as we're in this sort of period where there is increased level of anxiety, let's say, and people are more conscious of risk, yes. what do you see around some of those management teams and the way that people operate together? People who are perhaps more collectively risk averse or risk opportunistic, perhaps, in the way that they view the marketplace? Well, I mean, everybody is risk averse, but you can't make progress unless you take risks. So it's a question of what your calculus is and what your fallback position is. If you're a cash-rich company in a non-cyclical business, you're probably in a better position to take major risks than otherwise. So you have to assess the situation, keeping in mind that your competitors are not sitting still, that the environment is not going to sit still either, it's going to change. So you really have no choice but to take risks, it's just a question of figuring out what's the right 
portfolio of risks given the circumstances. And maybe it's about, in a sense, almost keeping a check of the temperature and seeing right. which side of risk are we on? Are we hotter or colder at any particular time? Right. And for me personally, I'm happy as an economist, I'm not in the business of making those decisions. So uh, it, 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 I think it would give me a great deal of anxiety. <laughs> Naraj, we get lots of businesses promoting the, the benefits of more tech within retail. You know, tech to look at supply chain efficiency, e-commerce, customer-facing solutions. Now, as a CFO, you must have many people coming to you and wanting to back my project and I want investment for this, that or another. What's your view on the role of retail tech and, and how important is it for you to think about those kind of what-if scenarios when you're planning your next round of investments and which of those particular projects that you really want to get behind? So I think it depends on what is the status of each of the organization. Like for us, when I joined in and we looked at it, we were like, oh no, you need to get the basics right. Having a visibility to inventory across the organization, a single view of inventory is very, very critical. Uh, getting, getting the basic uh, point of sales that enables you to improve productivity of your uh, cashiers and customer experience is very, very critical. Getting a predictive kind of, you know, which store, because Indonesia, if you look at it, we, are, we have three time zones. Many people don't realize, but we are, we are bigger than seven of the European countries combined together with a population of around 280 million. So kind of you know how do which store do I send what because the culture and everything differs significantly. So definitely using some AI over there is helpful. At the same time, when it comes to uh, kind of you know deciding as to which tech we go for, it's always a factor of how what is your ROI that is coming in from various investment. You have to look through it. And two is what is the customer experience that or a customer problem that it will solve. So kind of you know not looking at it. Um, I prefer to look at it objectively rather than looking at it subjectively. And the third thing that we always look at is kind of, you know, what is the risk and reward? What is the size of risk you are taking? As uh, Ira was earlier mentioning, like, kind of, you know, uh, how much risk is a company going to take? So in the past, I'll give an example. We brought in a brand and lost it straight into 150 stores. Now what we are doing is, okay, get the brand in, get products for 10 stores, get the customer experience. And if the brand is, I don't know, if the customers are resonating with the brand, then even if you have to spend extra to get it, flown in or you have to spend extra on supply chain, it's worth it because that's your launch plan and then gradually you grow the brand. So, so it's taking those risks but in a calculated manner. And then a kind of test and learn environment. Test and learn environment, absolutely. Fantastic. Gentlemen, it's been my absolute pleasure to have you as guests on the Retail Exchange podcast. I've been in conversation with Ira Kalish, Global Chief Economist from Deloitte, and also Niraj Jain, CFO from Matahari Department Stores. Gentlemen, thanks very much indeed. <laughs> I also sat down for an exclusive interview with Javiana's president, EMEA, Guillaume Pru, to explore his company's extraordinary brand journey and why investing in product innovation remains vital in the face of growing additional distractions to the day job of retailing. Guillaume, thank you very much for being my guest. Thank you for hosting me. So I want to start off going straight in at the deep end here. Um, tell us about the growth of Javiana's in the last few years. You know, it started off as quite a functional product, but has now kind of really entered almost the, the story of fashion with collabs and big brand partnerships, which you've announced. Well, I love the topic. It's, the story of the brand is, is quite amazing. It was created in 1962 in Brazil, and the purpose of the creation of, the, of this shoe was to put a pair of shoes on the feet of the many who could not afford a proper pair of closed shoes. 
So, and that's still the case, by the way. So the, the, the birth of the, of the brand in Brazil was you know, with the people, very popular, democratic, and it went up the ladder, little by little, to the point that you know, in, uh, in the early 90s, it was still shameful to wear a pair of Havaianas until celebrities started wearing it. The Bebeto, the stars of the telenovela on the on Glo global television. So these people made it a, a cool product even for the, for the Brazilian. And then all of a sudden, the genius, there is one genius in this company who decided to put a Brazilian flag on the strap of the flip-flop. And then it was not just a footwear, it was not just a cool footwear, it became a Brazilian icon. And all of a sudden you made it you know, desirable for the rest of the world. So people started looking at this and any tourist traveling to Brazil today is bringing back maybe a, a bottle of cachaça, but for sure a pair of Havaianas. So the growth of Havaianas in the past 10 years has been, I'm going to be a bit shocking, relatively easy because we started from scratch or nearly zero. So that was good. We went direct in, uh, in Europe about 13 years ago, something like that. So time to conquer the distribution, the regular wholesale distribution, start opening uh, retail distribution. These were the early days. Over the four or five last year, growth has come essentially from one channel of distribution, which is digital to the point that the brand today, as surprising as it may seem, is selling 40% of its volumes through a digital channel. So digital has been strongly... Uh... Another thing is the, um, the nature of what we're selling. Uh, we are essentially a flip-flop brand, and what we've tried to do is we've tried to open to adjacent categories, like sandals, which has been launched some four or five years ago, feminine sandals, you know, more fashionable for different use education, not purely beach and summer, more formal, cocktail to wear at night. So this, uh, this is a big category now, representing 10% of our business. And then the last category that was launched uh, successfully was the accessories, uh, silicon accessories for the beach to carry your iPhone, necessary, whatever. And this is a very good match with what Avianas is carrying. So uh, this has been pretty successful. Another thing which carried, you know, which uh, helped fuel the growth of Avianas is geographies. And we have had a few new countries that have added a lot of business to Avianas. And the first one is, uh, is Greece. Well, perfect match for, for a brand like ours. You know, it's uh, kilometers of beach and islands and uh, white sand. Lots of tourists, 28 million tourists between June and September. So it's for us the perfect match. So, so many companies talk about innovation being important to them. And clearly with a, a focus that you have on pretty much on a, a very limited inventory, you know, it's, it's footwear and some accessories. That's your core business. How do you use innovation to drive newness? Well, um, I'm not gonna lie. We are in the fashion business. So, um, and it's innovation driven. So you need to bring newness to the consumer every season if you want to maintain the coolness, if you want to maintain the... So, how do you surprise the consumer in a business like ours? How do you create you know, the, the magic every year with, with something new? So one, one very good way to do it is collaboration. We were even surprised uh, when we came to Europe to bring the brand and that um, some fashion brand came after us uh, you know, and proposed some collaboration because they thought it was cool to put on their catwalk you know, uh, a model uh, with their uh, fancy dresses and a pair of Havaianas. So I think the very, one of the very first brands that came to us was Missoni. Italian brand, very cool, very neat. And over time, we have developed some collaboration with this brand. So we have collaborated with, uh, with Valentino at one point, with Salon, which is really uh, something that we value a lot. So we have this anchor with the world of fashion that we don't want to lose. And then, you know, a, a, a flip-flop is basically a, a canvas, a white canvas. You can put about anything on it. 
So you can play with colors, you can play with textures on the strap, you can play with embellishment, you can tell a color story, you can... So there are many ways to, to fuel the, 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 the... And there are lots of competing priorities in retail right now. You know, people are investing in AI, looking at their ESG initiatives. You know, a lot of these things could be a potentially very big distraction to the day job. How do you still manage to keep product and retail at the forefront and heart of your thinking? Uh, so so we're, no, we're no better than the rest of the pack, meaning we, you know, we, um, we have followed a number of uh, dead-end streets. You know? So uh, we, we have invested in things that did not really uh, deliver. I think the right thing with technology or any initiative that you have with your retail is to try, test, and fail. If you fail, fail quickly, and then go to the next. So in, in that respect, you know, if I look at technology and what's been implemented, if, if it serves the purpose of your consumer, or the experience that you get in the store, then it works. So I, I can give you a, one example, for instance. Um, you're talking about ESG and sustainability. What we've done is we have, um, it's now a program that's been running for three, four years. We have installed in our stores a bin to collect the flip-flops of people. And that's great because it tells a story about what you want to do with your afterlife, uh, the afterlife of your product. But it's also put people, you know, it, it just clicks, triggers something in people's mind that, oh, that's where I'm going to recycle my summer footwear. And so you create an habit. And so what you see is you see that the level of the bean is feeling just quicker and quicker every season. And presumably not just with your products, but with other products too. We are very democratic. We accept everything, especially when it's competition and then you buy a pair of Avenas, it's we're happy. But it's, it's, you know, it's this one thing, this innovation. We didn't do it for that purpose, but we seem to have created a pattern with some of our customers. So we love that because it's lifetime value. So that's one innovation. Another one is, even though we are, you know, it's lifestyle and it's fashion and you talk about uh, in the summertime, in the 12 weeks that you know that summertime is here and the good weather is out there, you know, your, your store is packing in no time. And at six o'clock, you know, when people come back from the beach in our, in Barcelona or in a Balearic Island or wherever, your store looks like a supermarket. And so what you need to do is you need to free time for your store attendant to dedicate time to the consumer. So uh, when innovation helps, you know, um, simplify, um, make it a better experience. So one of the really interesting things that we've done was to, um, was to use mobile checkout. You know, we have equipped people with, you know, and they have the possibility to take the, you know, um, make the transaction on site after having, a, instead of waiting in line in front of the till, which is not, not so cool. And that very much leads into my next question. You've been with the brand for about 11 years, joining from L'Oreal. So two very different consumer segments. But after 11 years, you will have seen immeasurable change within retail. If you were to look five years in the future, what are some of the things that you are now planning for that you think, actually, these are ideas now, which in five years' time will be driving the business? That's a tough question. Um, I, I'm glad you think that's a tough question. That's what I'm here for. Look, I'm, I, it's, it's, it's interesting that you talk about five years, because I'm going to talk about the past before, uh, to start with. Uh, if there is one thing that I've learned with Avianas in Europe is that with retail, with the development of the retailer in Europe, is that there are a few rules, but very few. And the rest is all about test, learn, and scale. So let me give you an example. One of the rules is location. In our case, we are, uh, like we like to say, that we are the ice cream of footwear. So we need a, we need a lot of traffic. We need a good, a good weather, and we need people to be in the mood for for open toe and, and enjoying that time. So location is, is of essence. That's one, one of the 
intangible rule of, of retail. Now, for the rest, we have experimented a lot of things. One of them was very interesting is travel retail, for instance. We've been in different airports. And it's very interesting to see that, you know, in, in some places, uh, success was here, and in some other places, complete failure. You go to Gatwick Airport, UK, with the flight schedule, you know, towards geared towards the Mediterranean country, and it's booming. Number one point of sale in Europe is actually our little kiosk in Gatwick, uh, Gatwick South. You try the same in some other, uh, in some other geographies, it doesn't work. So you need to test and you need to try a lot of things before you find your consumer. So you can't necessarily assume that what works in one location will work in every location. Exactly. That's exactly my point. It's, well, in the end, consumer decide, but you need to try a lot of things. And you can't, you can't stay on, you know, on, in, the, in, the, in the back of the court waiting for the ball. You, you, need, you need to go and get it because people, people's habits are changing and they are changing really fast. For me, I think part of what makes your brand so successful is the consumer has clarity about what you offer. As you say, the open toe, their colorful product for the beach, etc. Choose to have fun in. Now, there's plenty of opportunities out there to extend into different categories. And we know that there are footwear brands which have got some historic product, some great product catalog, which have dipped their toe into apparel or to other categories, into homewares. And maybe that's not proven to be such a good idea. Why have you resisted that desire, I guess, that pull to say, hey, we can have Javiana's jackets and T-shirts and a line of clothing. Why have you remained so true to your core product roots? I think you need to be conscious of what you carry. You know, when you stand for Brazilian summer spirit, when people read your name and they see, you know, the beach of Copacabana and the Pão de Azucar and they think Brazil and they think, you cannot sell ski boots. It doesn't work. No matter how hard I want to sell ski boots or to be more realistic, like uh, you know, regular winter apparel. One of the things that I'm suffering the most in my business with retail is the winter season. The winter season is hell for me. And by the way, it's the best season for many retailers because Christmas is the best season you know, to sell. Normally you make a, you know, a quarter of your revenue. We sell nothing. We sell nothing because we don't, you know, I think when consumers go uh, and they pass by a Havana store in the middle of uh, February in, uh, in Paris, they don't even see it. They are in a, whatever, Montclair mode or some other, you know, they don't, it's not, it's not relevant. So, so is this partly about keeping the brand ego in check so that you don't overextend and reach into places you shouldn't be? I think it's keeping the DNA, you know, the, for instance, the success of accessories is all about this. It's a perfect fit. It's something, you know, it's the, the material is there, the touch, you know, it's very much, Avainas, if you look at, a, if you go to Avainas store, it's very much a sensorial experience. It's visual, it's the touch of the rubber, it's the smell of, uh, we try to make it the smell of Brazil, it's a fragrance in the store. It's very sensorial. So, uh, you know, this, this particular category was, ca was catching all of these attributes of the brand, and that's why it worked. I think that's why the, the, the people responded. And what's the thing that keeps you awake at night? I work for, you know, it, lifestyle fashion is the one thing that's the most important for a company like ours, for a brand like Avayanas, is to keep that um, edgy um, uh, attribute, that, that edgy positioning. You know, it's keeping the coolness of the brand. And if one thing keeps me awake at night is uh, how do I manage to maintain, you know, this level of coolness of, wow, Avayanas, you know, it's, it's, it's cool. I, I want to be part of it. I, I'm proud of it. I want to wear it. So how do you keep that? collaboration, you know, 
initiative, whatever, talk about sustainability in your own particular Brazilian point of view. It's, it's many ways to do it, but how do you keep that, that coolness? Because that could be, a, you know, that's, that's the number one threat to a brand like ours. For retail, my number one uh, nightmare, uh, night problems uh, uh, will be logistic. It's one of the things that has changed tremendously is the level of, of, uh, of um, exigence, of uh, demand from consumer. And by now they, 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 they press their button, with the press of the button, they get their Amazon premium delivery uh, by the afternoon. So if you don't have the right pair, uh, the right innovation, and they know a lot, they come to the store and they want that model, not that other one. And they want that in that, that one size. So getting your logistic right. We've just invested in a completely new network of, you know, of uh, warehouses in Europe in order to cover and to be quicker, faster, better uh, with, this, uh, with the logistic, getting, uh, getting the, the, you know, the inventory optimized in front of the customer. And I would say that that's probably a common concern for many of the people attending here is around the speed of delivery. How do you satisfy consumers and how do you keep your edge? It's been an absolute pleasure for me today to talk with Guillaume Pru, who is the EMAA president from Havianas. Thank you so much for being our guest on the Retail Exchange podcast here at World Retail Congress 2023. Thank you. Thanks a lot, Carl. If you like this episode, be sure to listen for free to our full event review roundup episode from World Retail Congress 2023 in Barcelona, featuring outgoing CEO of The Body Shop, David Boynton, Primark CEO, Paul Marchant, Fraser's Group CEO Michael Murray, and more. It's available now on our website or your favourite podcast app. But for now, from me, Carl McKeever, and the rest of the Retail Exchange podcast team, thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Retail Exchange podcast. Thanks for listening.